And now, the time fight fans all across the globe have been waiting for. It's the Trackstar Sports MMA main card with your man, The Voice. As always, let's start off with some headlines and hot takes. UFC Chile has had quite a bit of reshuffling. Both the main event and the co-main event have been altered. Santiago Ponzinibbio, the rising welterweight star, the Latin American phenom out of Argentina, who was really supposed to put this card over the top, had to pull out due to injury. And the co-main event? Well, yeah, that's being shipped off to another fight card altogether as Vulcan Ozdemir had to surrender his passport due to third-degree felony charge stemming from a barroom brawl back in August of 2016. They're trying to do that fight against uh, Shogun in Hamburg, Germany. Time will only tell as to whether or not that'll come off. One thing that we are sure of, though, it was being rumored at the beginning of the day Thursday and then confirmed by day's end that Damian Maya will step in to face the Nigerian nightmare Kamaru Usman for the UFC Chile main event. One card that's trending in the opposite direction, just getting stronger and stronger and uh, not having all of the drama that goes along with making fight cards from time to time is the International Fight Week card, UFC 226. That'll be taking place in Vegas. Not only did it get its co-main event, but they added a grudge match in the heavyweight division. The co-main event, championship bout between Max Blessed Holloway and Brian T-City Ortega. Oh, and a heavyweight grudge match is none other than the Predator Francis Ngannou versus the Black Beast Derek Lewis. Oh, man. This is one of the UFC's most high-profile cards each year. They really try to go all out on this card, the Madison Square Garden card, and the last card of the year. And yeah, they're doing a good job of matchmaking for International Fight Week. The Black Beast has also made news because he stated that there's a certain fighter who has not made their pro debut yet but he would love to fight because of his stance regarding domestic violence, the Black Beast stance regarding domestic violence. The fighter that he wants to take on is a fighter that recently got signed to Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. High-profile person making his MMA debut. None other than former defensive end for the Carolina Panthers and the Dallas Cowboys, pro bowler Greg Hardy. 
He's going to meet Brandon Sales on the June 12th edition of the show. Someone else who has recently extended a contract for Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series is congenital amputee Nick Newell. Oh, that, that's such a great feel-good story and a great counterbalance to the drama that's been out there surrounding Hardy. As I was doing research for this, I saw something from the uh, from a paper in Charlotte, I believe it was the Observer, that was already decrying the fact that Hardy was coming to uh, MMA and getting a chance to fight professionally. On the other end, Nick Newell has been overcoming obstacles since day one. He makes the best out of what he has, which has helped him to excel in wrestling as well as in MMA. Newell has only lost one time, and that was a title bout in WSOF versus... (laughs) The uh, reigning bonus king. I mean, just absolute highlight. Just engaging. So this is a great counterbalance. Looking forward to seeing these fights this summer. Stacking up really nicely with the Tuesday Night Contender Series uh, season coming back. As well as the PFL having fights every other Thursday night. Uh, There'll be lots and lots to watch and partake of if you are a combat sports enthusiast. During UFC Atlantic City Fight Week, it was announced that Matt the Terracera will be entering the UFC Hall of Fame in its pioneer's wing. The most notable accomplishment that Sarah has had was being the biggest underdog in UFC history to win the title. He defeated the absolute goat of the welterweight division and possibly the greatest of all time overall, George St. Pierre, coming in off of the Ultimate Fighter season four, which was the comeback season. These were people who were no longer in the UFC, living together in the tough house, fighting each other for an opportunity to get back into the UFC and not just back into the UFC, but then to fight for the title. And he won it all. Sarah started his career in the UFC in 2001 at UFC 31. And his last fight was some 60 plus fight cards later on UFC 119. Side note, I'll share more about the headliners of UFC 119, Frank Mir and Miracle Krokop in the Bellator 198 preview. Now back to Sarah. Currently, he hosts the UFC Unfiltered Podcast. He stars with Dana White in the Looking for a Fight series on YouTube. Uh, he has continued his, not his mixed martial arts, but his martial arts career as a coach and uh, specifically in jiu-jitsu for the Sarah Longo camp. So this is going to be a really good look for him 
moving forward. Next up, Quentin Jackson and Rashad Evans are at it again since we're talking about former UFC champions. Now, they've been known to have quite a rivalry. They also were on the Ultimate Fighter as coaches. They were tearing up the house, breaking doors, uh, punching holes in walls, all kinds of craziness. They really had a great disdain for each other. And something that made Rashad even more upset was that they were scheduled to fight in Jackson's hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. But the fight did not take place because Jackson got the role of a lifetime in a movie and played a character that he idolized growing up in B.A. Barakas for the A-Team movie. Well, like I said, they're at it again, but this time they've teamed up on, (laughs) of all things, a movie, which is boss level. Don't know what channel is going to be used, or vehicle, I should say, is going to be used to release this. You know, maybe Showtime, Cinemax. I've seen some movies of Rampages on uh, Cinemax, you know, so who knows? Maybe something like that. Maybe Netflix. Maybe straight to DVD. Who knows? But they have teamed up for the movie. And not just teamed up. Twinned up. They have the same outfit on and everything. uh, Glasses. The whole nine. Uh, It's really, really uh, interesting to see how things change. Now, this is not the first time that Quentin Jackson has changed his tune when it comes to money. Back in the day, when he and Mo were beefing, he put his beef aside with Mo when they were both uh, being represented by MMA Elite. When that was over, he went back to um, having some animosity, well, specifically leading up to his fight against Mo in Chicago a little over a year ago. Um. But, hey, so, again, not the first time that for a little bit of cheese, he's laid aside the beef. Last in headlines of hot takes. Or not last, next to last. There's been a lot of talk this week about Project Spearhead interim president Leslie Smith. Uh, She was cut by the UFC during the fight week. Uh, last week, uh, UFC in Atlantic City. She was supposed to fight her uh, opponent, Aspen Ladd, could not make weight. So within the contract, it was stated that if the opponent did not make weight, that you'd be paid both your win and show money, which was different. It was interesting. She said she signed it when she got there because that was not the original contract now. They may have created that as a means of finding a way to do what they eventually did. Not sure. But after the fight was not able to be made, or just after Aspen Ladd missed weight, Smith, who was on the last fight of her contract, tried to renegotiate. Uh, That did not work out. And instead of 
booking her for another fight down the road. They said, this will count as your last fight and have a great day. There's been a lot of talk about this specific situation. And especially based on the fact that she got her show and win money, which is not something that normally happens when fights get called off. Uh, most notably, or and I should say most recently, at the last UFC pay-per-view, 223, when everything went down with Conor injuring fighters, Dana White was asked, hey, will those who are unable to fight get both their win and show money? He said, look, we're not that rich. But they did have another $32,000 to throw the way of Leslie Smith to be done with her and that obviously takes her out of the loop as far as being at fight events um, or at as many fight events and things of that nature and having the liberty to go around and try to organize people for Project Spearhead which is an attempt to organize the fighters uh, into either an organization or a union at least going through the exploratory phase um but the whole piece about the money, I think, has been a bit overblown as that was in the contract again. Did the UFC foresee this happening and try to set up something to make a way to have a, well, it's not a clean cut, but to um, cut ties with her? Possibly. But on the money end, uh, at least it was in the contract and who knows may have been in other people's contracts as well. I will be really interested in finding that out, especially seeing as Kevin Lee was not able to make way. And I wonder whether or not, uh, Edson Barboza got both his win and show money. Speaking about departures and parting ways, the man in the shirt, Jeff Wagonheim, will no longer be a panelist on the MMA beat. And it was a bittersweet day today, uh, or I should say Thursday, listening to his last episode and watching it. Uh, his duties with ESPN have shifted. He'll be covering more combat sports for them. So it's not like he's totally getting out of the game. It's just that his uh, day job, his uh, primary breadwinning position has more responsibility and it'll keep him in a position where he won't be able to make it to New York on a weekly basis for the show. Mr. Wagenheim, I salute you as I really enjoy your take or I've enjoyed your take on the show. It's a, a different way of approaching things and he really says some things on the show that it's like, man, I, I I wasn't even thinking about that. I wasn't even thinking about things from that perspective. So definitely going to miss his voice on that show. But he did say that he will be sending in questions regularly. So I look forward to seeing and hearing those. Referee Keith Peterson has called a stop to this contest, declaring the winner by TKO Kevin the Motel Phenom I'm happy but never satisfied. Still feel like it's some things that I can sew up a little bit. We're gonna go back to the gym, I'm gonna keep working on them. But I'm content now I say that. I was
Man, Kevin Lee and Edson Barboza put on a show at UFC Atlantic City and Boardwalk Hall. Edson looked to get a second win and a new lease on life after throwing a spinning head kick, which Edson Barboza is infamous for doing. Had, <laughs> had Kevin Lee looking like he just got off of a boat that didn't have any stabilization uh, on it, like he went on a cruise ship or something. He, he was just walking all kind of wobbly and looked like he didn't have sea legs at all. Uh, but before and after that happened, Lee dominated the fight with some vicious grounding pound. Now, the Motown Phenom followed the blueprint that was laid out by lightweight champion Khabib Nurmagomedov when he dominated Barboza on the final card of 2017. But man, even though his face was all kind of lumped up and knotted up, Edson never stopped throwing. And he was hitting Lee with some hard hooks and body kicks to start off round five. But a punch that opened up a cut in round five is what finished things off for Barbosa when the doctor was called in to check it. Barbosa was sitting down on the ground, not on a stool, just sitting down on the ground because he was so tired and so worn from the beating that he was taking. And the doctor said, hey, you know, I, I've seen enough. It's over. Not necessarily due to the fatigue that Edson was showing, but she took a look at that cut and was like, oh, no, uh, this fight cannot continue. Like I said, phenomenal, phenomenal fight. I thought that with some of the issues with weight cutting that Lee had, he came in a pound heavy and New Jersey did not allow him additional time to try to shave that weight off to get down to the 156 pound minimum for the fight I thought he may uh, thought he may have a, a disadvantage as far as the cardio was concerned but not so he was on point the entire fight and it showed by his ability to weather the storm uh, in round 5 It's his trademark, but the quickest turnaround in his career tonight after fighting in early March did not go his way, of course. He wanted to right that wrong, and he had this date circled to fight here in Atlantic City. Cub Swanson showed great improvement in his game as he was perfect in his takedown defense. Eight shots by Frankie Edgar, all of them stopped by Cub Swanson, and that's the area where Frankie dominated in their first meeting but the night would belong to Edgar as the clip stated he had this date circled on his calendar it was always his dream to compete at boardwalk hall ever since he was a kid in high school but he never got a chance to do it 
Unfortunately, this time, it was with a bit of a heavy heart that drove him to the victory as he lost both his father and his grandfather in the lead up to the fight. He had all of the answers and won 30 to 27 across the board on every judge's scorecard. And Frey's chin looked to hold up well, which was what was most concerning to me and the reason why I selected this as the Voices Marquee matchup. He was just coming in off of the first knockout of his career. And as well, the clip stated, it was the fastest turnaround that he ever had. As a Jersey native, like I said, it was his dream to compete there. And he finally got a chance to do it. And he did so in Boardwalk Hall, the place where he would watch Arturo Gaddy have wars like Gaddy came out victorious and did it in a very dominant fashion shoots in Tiago Maheta Santos was playing conductor, punching the tickets for the last four of his opponents on the train to Sleepy Town. In this fight, though, he was the passenger on that train. David Branch said in an interview before the fight that losing to Rocco was the best thing that could happen to him because he was fighting to keep from losing versus fighting to win, which is understandable. As I stated in a previous episode, he was on like an 11 fight win streak, hadn't lost in years. I want to say about eight years. So when you got a streak like that going, you want to keep things going. He made good money in the WSOF winning championship titles at both light heavyweight and at middleweight doing so and was coming over coming back into the UFC with this great win streak looking to go to the top made him a bit too cautious but he said those days are over he is fighting to win versus the kind of like the prevent defense that some NFL teams put in place it's like no I'm not looking to just keep from losing I'm gonna come out victorious and that's just what he did uh over tiago maheta santos hey kudos bravo i salute you great great fight david branch combinations from anderson look at the total strikes already anderson approaching 30 here he goes, and this is smart, in my opinion, of Corey Anderson to get his own takedown. Now, he stuffed every one of Patrick Cummins' takedowns, and then Corey comes out towards the end of this first round, gets his own. That's just going to wear mentally on Patrick Cummins. He wasn't able to take down Corey Anderson. He's not getting the better of the exchanges. That's a lot to deal with in one round of this fight. Look out for 
The All-American wrestler Cummings tried twice to take overtime down at this point. This was the first of 12 completed takedowns by Anderson, who had a 92% completion rate. I saw in an interview with MMA Junkie where Anderson told his wife, or I should say his wife told him, because uh, she's a like a Muay Thai and a boxing specialist. She's like, look, you need to tighten up your striking. So he took some time and focused on that, and it showed in this fight because his game was very well-rounded. I mean, he was piecing Cummins up on the feet, which led to him being able to get him down to the ground and gave Cummings his first loss since November of 2015 when Glover Teixeira knocked him out in Sao Paulo, Brazil. For a little over 30 seconds, Davala Shilly kept doing his bicycle kick thing with his legs uh, at the end of the, the fight. Really, when the referee came in to check him and you heard uh, the commentator saying, oh, he's out, he's out. I think he was out. I think picking up his hand woke him up and he started going at it again. Uh, this was the craziest fight ending I've ever seen because the fight was over and then Devalashili was counted as being out and being knocked out. You heard the takedown that Devalashili hit on Simon, but when he hit that takedown, he actually hit his head on the mat and it looks like he knocked himself out. So seemingly he was concussed from the takedown then he had Simon with this killer guillotine for about a minute choking him out and you know he's just trying to stay conscious that whole time again one of the craziest fight endings that I've seen I don't know who should have won the fight uh, it was given to and many of the uh, experts in judging, including the great, great Big Dan, John McCarthy, stated that the call that was made um, by Mark Goddard, Mark Goddard kind of stepped in to help with ensuring that the call was right, even though he was not the ref for that fight, uh, but stating that it was a TKO by... Uh, by choke said that, that was right that was the right call hey i'm not a judge i don't know about the rules big john wrote the book on the rules and continues to be one of the leading persons when it comes to making adjustments to the mma guidelines so i'll take him for his word uh that the call was made correctly and for simon 
it was so important that things went that way because arguably he lost rounds one and two. Now, granted, with the way the things went, could round three have been a 10-8? Absolutely. But you're looking at the most a draw, not a victory. So he definitely benefited from the rules and from having people in place who could rightly uh, interpret the rules and ensure that things went right. There's been a lot of talk about them doing the fight again because it was so entertaining. Hey, uh, I would definitely watch it again if ever they decided to put it on. The only person with a higher takedown completion rate was performance of the night bonus winner, CR, the great Baharuzada. He used that takedown. It was only one. He shot in for one, got the one, done deal with that. He used it to continue the domination that he experienced on the feet for the first 45 seconds of round one. But at the 2 minute and 45 second mark of that round, Chagas took his back and made CR defend a choke from that point until the horn. So it was really unclear as to me watching it as to who won that round just simply because of the long time that Chagas was on CR's back versus the 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 definite damage that was done early on in the fight and getting it down to the ground so that was round one but in round two this happened and these guys are trading back and forth Chagas touches the chin there with his left oh that hurt him that hurt him big shot oh, he's out he goes he's out cold right just now. like that wow CR the great Wow! Wow, that was a beautiful front kick to the solar plexus. And just as he reacted to that, Bahadurzada wasted no time. Big uppercut and put Chagas out. Want to make a statement in the welterweight division. That's what he said. That's what he did. Yeah. These two were trading front kicks all night long. As a matter of fact, that's how CR got the takedown in the first place is that he caught Shoggs' front kick and then went in and took him down in the first round. Great, great fight. Oh, my goodness. They were going at it. Um, and especially with the, the front kicks and the, the body shots, they were really investing in the body. Uh, and, boy, I mean, CR the great did a great job after he caught him with that body kick. Shagas doubled over and turned to the side, and that uppercut caught him clean. Put Shagas out. All he needed was a blanket and a pillow because the man was a resident in Sleepy Town. <sighs> For me, I go and I look to see what all the fighters came out to because. Trackstar Sports is a division of Trackstars. Trackstars is a media company that does a lot of work with Christian hip-hop. And you'll find fighters from time to time coming out to Christian hip-hop songs. Shagas 
is one of those. He came out to Impossible by the Truth featuring Pastor 83. I was going to insert the song, but doesn't look like it's available on many of the streaming sites like Apple Music and Spotify. So I have tweeted out a link to that. So make sure you're following Trackstar Sports on Twitter so that you can keep up with all the great information that we try to provide you all. In the next segment, I'll talk about the Bellator tentpole taking place in the Windy City. Before his Bellator debut versus Matt Mitrione at Madison Square Garden, Fedor had not lost in his last five fights. The last fight that he did lose was against Dan Henderson in the Chicagoland area. The fight that he will have this Saturday versus Frank Mir will also take place in the Chicagoland area. The fight that he lost to Dan Henderson was promoted by Sky Coker. This fight against Mir, also promoted by Sky Coker. Fedor's infamous win streak came to an end under Scott Coker. Now that I think about it, Fedor has only tasted victory once when Coker's been his promoter. Will Saturday be different? Will it be number two that he faces, or I should say that he experiences victory? He sure hopes so. And I know that there's going to be a strong Russian contingency there to support him. I know this firsthand because when I was there for the fight versus Mo and Quentin Jackson last year, I was parked by Russians. I saw Russians everywhere I was going. Uh, They were speaking Russian. You saw Russian flags. I mean, there were a lot of people out there to support Fedor, and he wasn't even fighting. He was just there signing pictures, and uh, and that's all he does is sign pictures. Fedor does not speak. Uh, at least he doesn't speak to those of us who speak English now. Uh, maybe if I was Russian and I was able to speak uh, the language, he would dialogue with me, but the couple times that I've had an opportunity to interact with Fedor, yeah, it's been... Uh, Uh, All the talking has been done by me, uh, which is why if you checked out the Twitter feed, you'll see that I just kind of took the selfie over my shoulder because he also does not take pictures. He just signs uh, the glossy 8x10s and hands them over with a smile. But his opponent, Frank Mir, that is really, really interesting for this fight because of Frank Mir's situation. This is the first time in two years that Frank Mir's fought. Not because he hasn't wanted to fight, not because he's been uh, injured, but he has been serving a two-year USADA drug suspension. Not only that, this is his first time fighting outside of the UFC since his second pro fight all the way back in 2001 unfortunately 
he brings a two-fight losing streak with him into Bellator. But he's hoping to be victorious as Frank Mir looks to become the first UFC champion to hold a Bellator title. The co-main event has Emmanuel Sanchez fighting in it. And Sanchez has been doing his thing. He's won the last three of his fights. And all three of those fights were over former champions. He beat former WSOF champion Georgie Karahani. He beat former multiple-time Bellator featherweight champion Daniel Strauss. And he beat Marcus Galvo last year in this very same arena. Now, he's looking to extend the streak to four against Cecilia, who, and Sam Cecilia, that is, who is probably the easiest fight that he's had since losing to Daniel Weichel nearly two years ago. Sam Cecilia debuted in Bellator late last year, and in doing so, he snapped a three-fight losing streak to close out his UFC career that started back in 2012. Uh, he began in the tough house for season 15. Uh, but phew, Rich Child is not doing Sam Cecilia any favors. As that streak uh, of losses was broken in his first fight against a common opponent that he and Sanchez have in former Bellator champion Marcus Galvo. Now, Sanchez is fighting out of Milwaukee, so expect El Matador to get some regional love from the nearly sold-out crowd at Allstate Arena. Javier Lovato Jr. is undefeated in his MMA career. Seven victories, no defeats. And he'll be taking on Tough Seven alum and former Quentin Jackson sparring partner, Gerald Harris. The Hurricane steps in on short notice for John Salter, who was supposed to be fighting against Lovato. This was going to be the Voices Marquee matchup for the main card. But when Salter, who was riding a seven-fight win streak, stepped out, I had to change my pick for the fight as well. Now, Harris has won his last four fights, and three of those fights have been in his hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma. But Harris's strength lies in wrestling. Lovato has a jiu-jitsu school named after him, Lovato Jiu-Jitsu. So, yeah, going to the ground might not be what Harris really, really wants to do, especially seeing as six of, or I should say, out of the six stoppages that Lovato has, four of them will come by submissions. Harris is hoping that his vast experience will carry him to victory, while Lovato looks to keep his record perfect. Speaking of submission specialists, Neiman Gracie will be taking on Javier Torres. I'm not sure what weight this fight will be contested at, some outlets say middleweight, which is where Torres normally fights. Neiman normally fights at 170, but his debut was at middleweight 
on uh, WSOF's fifth card in the same locale where the UFC's last fight was held, Atlantic City. So it wouldn't be out of the it'd be out of the norm, but it wouldn't be a totally new experience if this fight was contested at 185 pounds. The Voices Marquee matchup for this Bellator card, Bellator 198, is Dylan Dennis versus Kyle Walker. Both fighters are making their Bellator debuts. Dennis has a lot of hype on him coming into this fight. He's a BJJ specialist. He fights out of SBG Ireland. So it seems like everybody who comes out of SBG Ireland has heat on them. And he has been one of the top coaches for Connor as far as BJJ is concerned. Just like Connor, he's made some outlandish statements too. Even though this is his first MMA bout, he believes that he is the best and nobody can defeat him. As a matter of fact, I saw a tweet while preparing for this where he credits the fact that the Allstate Arena is nearly sold out to him being on the card. Kyle Walker is a two and three fighter and he's coming in losing the last two of his fights. He's a native of Heron, Illinois, which is at the southernmost tip of the land of Lincoln. Kyle has fought in St. Louis a couple times for Shamrock FC. And that makes sense because Heron is only 90 minutes away from St. Louis. And Shamrock is a regional promotion here uh, that fights mostly in St. Louis as well as in Kansas City. So it just makes sense, especially seeing as Shamrock serves as a feeder league for Bellator. Well, it looks to me like they are feeding Dennis an easy win. But with nothing to lose, Kyle Walker is the kind of fighter that can make things go wrong for Dennis in this high-profile debut. Makes me think about when another fighter with ties to this region, the altar boy, uh, put Aaron Pico out in his debut. So, again, with nothing to lose, you never know what's going to happen. I do not have a marquee matchup for the prelims. I just don't. I'm sorry. Went through as a bunch of local and regional fighters, which is a great big reason why they are nearly at sold out capacity because the majority of the fights are these regional fighters. There are a couple UFC vets on the uh, prelims, but no one really stands out. The most notable fight is a rematch six and a half years in the making uh, of two fighters who both were UFC vets. Uh, I'll be watching the prelims as always, and if anything stands out, I'll be sure to share it with you. One thing that I do want to share is that at the press conference today, or I should say on Thursday, Scott Coker announced that the winner of the headlining fight for Bellator 200, which is Crow Cop versus Big Country, whoever wins is going to be the alternate for the Grand Prix. 
Now, this is a departure from what Crow Cop said on the MMA beat. Uh, I'm sorry, MMA hour mm, earlier this year. He said that he was being lent to Bellator by Ryzen, who they share um, they share talent from time to time. Ryzen's first card had a lot of Bellator's fighters on it. So that's not a departure from the norm uh, to see a Ryzen fighter come over to Bellator and then a Bellator fighter to go over to Ryzen. But he said it was a one fight contract and that was it. So if Crocop were to win, then that would be more than one fight. So I don't know, maybe uh, Koga and uh, Saki Kabara worked out some kind of deal where um, Crocop could continue to fight in Bellator if he is to win. Uh, now, fortunately, he did pass his first drug test leading up to the fight, but that would be uh, the part that could make things sticky, seeing as Crocop left the UFC based on uh, a drug suspension, has been fighting overseas in places where uh, drug testing is unregulated. Um, and if he's fighting for Bellator, the likelihood of fighting in the U.S. where there are stricter standards for drug testing uh, could come back to bite him. To keep up with Trackstar Sports, like the Trackstar Sports Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. New content gets released every day except for Sunday on Anchor.fm. You can listen there or subscribe to our podcast on Apple and Google Play or Pocket Cast or Overcast or Rocket Cast, wherever you get it. You can uh, definitely, definitely listen in to Trackstar Sports and all of the wonderful shows that we have. Join the Debate Fuel Facebook group to talk to your favorite correspondents about sports. Debate Fuel is our flagship show. That is the sports center for for Trackstar Sports. And that is recorded and broadcast live on Periscope at 10 a.m. Eastern on Saturday mornings. You can catch a replay of it there or you can listen to it uh, at all of the different outlets that I've already spoken about where you can find the podcast for Trackstar Sports. Until next time, it's your man, The Voice, host of the Trackstar Sports MMA main card. And I'm sounding off.